If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Romans, the fifth chapter. Romans chapter 5. We're in a series talking about why does it matter. You know, there are some words in Scripture that we hear, we don't always understand. And I can just speak for myself, but there are times that it seems like there are certain topics or certain words that we may not hear preached about or taught about or talked about as much as we do other things in the church. And so these four topics, sanctification, justification, transgression, and perpetuation, are the four words that we're tackling over the four weeks. Pastor Daniel preached on sanctification last week. I'm preaching on justification this week. I'm going to read several verses, but I'm not going to pitch a tent in all of them. So relax today. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God to jump down to verse 12 therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression for if by the transgression of one the many died much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man Jesus Christ abound to many the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Can we pray today? Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. God, the many blessings that you bestow upon us and father i'm asking you today to touch me anoint my lips to minister your word to your people 
Anoint the ears to hear and the hearts to receive today. Father, hide me behind the cross and not let anything proceed out of my mouth except that which is authored and anointed by you. Help me today, God, to articulate your word, God, in a way that will bring understanding and clarity. And Father, we give you the praise and the glory for everything that's done. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to start this morning just by simply reading to you one of the articles of the Declaration of Faith of what we believe in the Church of God. In the Church of God, we believe that justification, regeneration, and the new birth are wrought by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. So the topic of justification is in our declaration of faith of what we believe. Last week, I mentioned earlier that Pastor Daniel preached about sanctification and the need for it in our lives. This morning we're looking at justification and how it applies to our lives as children of God. Now in order for us to adequately understand what justification is and exactly what it means, I want to take just a little time to describe a scene for you. I love reading things when the author can take and paint a picture with words. Anybody understand what that means? If an author can paint a picture with his words or her words, then I get a better understanding of what I am reading. And so it is my goal this morning that I'm going to take the time to attempt to paint a picture for you with words to help you understand justification and how it applies to our life. You see, justification is a legal term. And in order for us to understand this word, I want to talk to you about some words and phrases that we've all heard or seen used in a courtroom setting. Now, I pray none of you have ever seen the inside of a courtroom. Because usually that's not good, right? Right? But if you have, the grace of God is extended toward us. Amen? I spent many a day when I worked in law enforcement sitting in a courtroom listening to attorneys and the judge and, and things of that nature. But let's talk about a few words that you might hear in those settings. You may hear the word innocent. The word innocent means that the person did not commit the crime. You may also hear the word or the phrase not guilty. The phrase not guilty means the person wasn't found guilty of the crime. Now, you may say, well, pastor, those two words mean the same thing. No, they don't. There is a difference between being innocent and being not guilty. A person can be guilty of committing a crime. However, a judge or jury can find them not guilty due to a lack of evidence or perhaps just good representation by their attorney. And their attorney uses the opportunity to cast reasonable doubt in the minds of the judge and the jury, and they may come back with a verdict of not guilty. It doesn't mean that they didn't commit the crime. It just means that there wasn't sufficient evidence to convict. So you see, a person who didn't commit the crime is innocent of the crime, but a person who commits the crime and is found not guilty still committed the crime, right? There just wasn't enough evidence. Some of you are trying to figure out where this is going. I'm going to get there. 
One of the more recent cases in our history that you may remember from several years ago, I was calculating it back as probably about 13 years ago, and I only remember this because I was watching the end of this trial, as I sat in a hotel room in Houston, Texas, after Abby's transplant in 2011. And when the minute I say this name, you're going to probably immediately recognize the case. But the case that I'm referring to is the case of Casey Anthony out of Florida. Anybody ever heard of this Two people. Come on, if you've heard of that, raise your hand. I want to make sure you can identify with what I'm talking about. Okay. Some people are afraid to raise their hand in church. If I was asking for $5,000 pledges, I could understand that. But Nevertheless, the case of Casey Anthony. Casey was accused of murdering her young daughter, Kaylee Anthony. In the eyes of the vast majority of the public, they believed that Casey was guilty. When the judge asked Casey how she would plead, she pled not guilty. And I can tell you from my experience in being in courtrooms that many times the people who committed the crime will always plead not guilty because it pushes them to a trial. It pushes them to an opportunity for evidence to be admitted or, or submitted and them an opportunity to present their case in hopes that they will be found not guilty. I've often wondered why pleading not guilty of something that you did was not considered perjury. It's the way my mind thinks. But Casey pled not guilty of murdering her daughter. Fast forward through the trial that was very lengthy. It took many days and weeks. Evidence was... Uh, given and the jury heard witness after witness after witness after witness. People were lined up on the day the verdict was going to be read outside of the courtroom. There were many people who had made signs and they were, they were being interviewed by news media outlets and they were ready for the verdict to come down. And many had anticipated the verdict to be guilty because in their mind they had already believed that she was guilty. But when the jury foreman read the verdict, the verdict was not guilty of murder. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if she killed her daughter or not. But the reality of it is, if she did, she was not innocent of the crime. She was just found not guilty on a lack of evidence. Again, it doesn't mean that she was Innocent, it just means she was not guilty based upon the verdict. Now watch. There's another word I want to talk to you about. It's the word acquitted. The word acquitted means to free someone of a criminal charge by the verdict of not guilty. She was acquitted of the charges. It doesn't mean they didn't commit the crime. It just means that she was not found guilty of the crime. Now what does all of this have to do with justification in our lives? We're going to talk about it. In verse 16 of our text, and I want to point your attention back to verse 16. We'll read it again. It says, The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Referring to Adam. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. Why did I go back to this passage of scripture 
Because we see the word justification listed here. And in the Greek, this word literally means a sentence of acquittal. The word justification here means a sentence of acquittal. Acquitted of the charges. Justification, by definition, is an act of God toward us. It is received strictly by faith. If you look back at verse 1 of Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore... Having been justified. How? By faith. And when we've been justified by faith, we have something. The next line tells us we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard somebody use the phrase, I've made peace with God? That, that is a term of justification, meaning they've been, they've been justified. Now let's, let's look at this a little deeper here. Justification is an act of God toward us and it is received strictly by faith. In the example above of Casey Anthony's trial and similar to our lives, we are guilty of committing sin. Now I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to an answer to this question. Don't worry about it. I'm the only one that can be seen on the live stream. How many of you in this room has ever at any point in your life committed a sin? Raise your hand. If your hand's not in the air, we'll have an altar call in just a moment. Because the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Watch this. We have all, at some point in our life, been guilty of committing sin. The Bible teaches us that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. And even now, though we have been redeemed and forgiven, it is still possible to allow ourselves to be tempted into sin. Why is that possible? It's because we still have the sin nature residing in our flesh. You see, you've got to understand that flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Whether we go by way of the rapture or whether we go by way of the grave, this fleshly body will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And within this fleshly body, there remains the imperfect nature to commit sin. That's scripture. Now, we do everything that we possibly can to strive to live as holy and sinless as possible. But sometimes we make a mistake. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here. I'm just going to ask this question. Did any of you commit sin this week? You professed to be redeemed by the blood, but you committed a sin this week. It happens. But the scripture says that we have an advocate with the Father. Seated at the right hand of God. He, it's Jesus. Pleading our case for us. That when we have those moments, we can plead with Him. And He'll plead with the Father. And I'm thankful that the blood can still cover that sin. Now listen, how is it that we're redeemed but yet we sin? We don't want to, but yet we allow ourselves to be tempted. And when we allow ourselves to be tempted, now understand the temptation's not the sin, it's the engaging act of the temptation that becomes the sin. Because the blood of Jesus has been applied to us, we've been redeemed. But yet we were, at some point, guilty of committing sin. Does that make sense? Were being past tense. 
But the blood has redeemed us. And as a result, God gives us a sentence of acquittal, meaning that we are not guilty anymore. That's justification. Now we're going to dive into it a little deeper here. What God has done is He has pronounced us as being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot earn justification. You cannot work to get it. It's strictly alone by faith in Jesus Christ. Our pronouncement of justification is God considering us to be righteous through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now listen. Paul says it like this. Paul says that we who have believed have been justified. Many people do not fully understand what this word means. I'm going to give you several definitions and try to break it down as much as I can. Basically, it means to count someone as righteous. It means to reckon, to account, to judge, to treat, or to look upon someone as righteous. It doesn't mean it makes us righteous. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But when he looks upon us, he considers us to be righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. It does mean that we are treated as though we are righteous. You see, we were all sinners. Even though we claim to be Christians, we were still sinners. Justification does not mean that God is not aware of our sins. But it does mean that in spite of our sin... God treats us as though we were not sinners. That's justification. In spite of the fact, even though we are unrighteous, and even though we still live in a wicked fleshly body, your flesh is wicked. Your flesh is evil. That's why I can't go to heaven. And we still reside in this fleshly body. But in spite of that, God treats us as though we are righteous and pure as He Himself is. How is this possible? Listen, it happens because when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, He paid for all of our sin. <laughs> then we received Him as our Savior. God gives us righteousness in Jesus Christ. Justification does not mean we are perfect by any means. It just means that God sees us as though we were. Mm. Again, we're going to talk about a courtroom. Imagine a man on trial for murder. The prosecution knows he's guilty. The defendant knows he's guilty. The judge knows he's guilty. But the jury finds him not guilty. Even though nearly everyone in the courtroom knows the man is guilty of murder. He is treated like an innocent person because he has been declared innocent. When I stand before the Lord, I know I'm guilty. The devil knows I'm guilty. And God knows I'm guilty. However, because I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, God will look at me and treat me as though I was innocent because He has justified me by faith in Jesus Christ. My blessed God. If this truth has ever occurred to us, 
in the depths of our soul, it would change us forever. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm justified. Our position being described like this, how did this great, miraculous, and fantastic justification come about in our life? Simple, by faith. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. All we did was take God at His word concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ and God has justified us by faith. I'm grateful this morning that salvation is a product of faith. If it relied on my ability to perform, I would be lost. If it required me to keep a list of rules perfectly, I would be lost. If it required me to be a good person, I would be lost. Thank God it is simply by faith. Now listen. We have buzzwords in the church. You tell somebody you're saved, if they've not been in and around the church, they may not understand what that means. Right? So I want to talk to you about this this morning, and I'm going to give you some phrases that you've probably heard that kind of means justification without hearing the word justification. Let me just ask you this question. It's okay if you raise your hand. How many would say, and it's, it's not anything bad, but I mean, let's just be honest because I'm going to raise my hand. How many of you would say, I've not heard the topic of justification preached on very much in the church? Yeah. See, there's a need for it. It's a doctrinal belief. We need to understand how it happens and why it comes this way. But listen, I read an author several years ago back when I was in taking classes at Lee. And I went back and dug this article up because I was like, you know what? He's got some great viewpoints on justification. So I want to share with you what Frank Macchia wrote uh, about justification. And I identify with some of what he says here. A lot of what he says, actually. He said, I, as a Pentecostal, do not recall using the term justification as part of our language of faith in the Pentecostal church of my upbringing. We didn't run around telling people, God bless you, I'm glad you're justified. I've never been told that. I've never told anybody that. <laughs> we would use terms like delivered. You ever heard that one? Set free. Even in relation to those texts that use the term justification. Like other pietistic traditions, grace, he says, was always something liberating for us. And so terms like set free by the blood of the Lamb seem to say it all. I mean, what else do you need to say, right? He said, I first learned of the Reformation doctrine of justification in college from American evangelical theological textbooks. These books taught me, listen carefully, these books taught me that justification was a forensic declaration. The metaphor used went something like this. I love this. God, as an impartial judge, is about to exact punitive justice against humanity when Jesus, our advocate, offers His own meritorious righteousness on our behalf. Since His righteousness has satisfied 
God's righteous requirements, it is enough to change our verdict from condemned to acquitted. I don't know about you this morning, but when I stand in a courtroom and the enemy of my soul is laying out the evidence of against me, I know I'm guilty. But when God raises the gavel and drops it on his desk, he'll declare the words not guilty, justified by faith in my son, redeemed by the blood of my son. I don't know if that does anything for you this morning, but that just kind of sets my wood on fire. I'm going to be honest with you. I deserve hell. You deserve hell. But because Jesus went to Calvary in my place, I'm now redeemed and justified by faith in his son. Lord he changed the verdict I'm almost done God's justification is unique in that through his justification guilty people are acquitted now how many of you would raise your hand this morning and say pastor just like you I was guilty how many of you can raise your hand and say, although I was guilty, I've now been justified, redeemed, and I'm not guilty anymore. My blessed God, I'm not guilty anymore. Hallelujah. The reason that God's justification is unique is that God justifies the ungodly. Now that doesn't sound like it makes a whole lot of sense. But it's what it is. His acquittal of the wicked is offensive to our sense of ordinary justice. It is a startling doctrine. Law demands that the guilty be condemned and the innocent acquitted. Even the scripture says this, Proverbs 17, 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them are like an abomination to the Lord. It seems unthinkable that a God who has revealed himself as just and opposed to all ungodliness, should justify the ungodly. But God, however, does not does, does what no other person who has authority can do. God does what no, person, no other person can do. Nobody else has the authority to do this. Only God. Nobody has the authority. He declares the ungodly justified when they trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. To share a quick story with you, and then I'm going to get to my conclusion here, and I'll be done. There was a young lady who was pulled over by a police officer for speeding, 70 and a 55. The police officer wrote her a ticket, told her she needed to call to find out how much the fine would be. Now, this had to have been several years ago, because as the story goes, the, the ticket was only $100. I've never paid a $100 speeding ticket. Yes, I've had a speeding ticket. She didn't have the $100 to pay the ticket, so she goes to her court appearance. And the judge looks at her and she says, Ma'am, were you speeding? She says, I was, Your Honor. He said, Okay, your fine is $100. She said, Your Honor, I don't have $100. She, he said, If you don't have $100, then I'm required by law to sentence you to a weekend in jail. She says, Your Honor, I don't have $100. I have small children. Can you please have some grace and mercy on me? And he looked at her and he says, Ma'am, 
The law is the law. I don't have the right to circumvent the law. You either have to pay $100. And she said, Your Honor, I don't have $100. Then it's a weekend in jail. And she began to weep before the judge. And she said, Your Honor, can you not just one time make an exception here? The judge stands up. And he unzips the black robe. And he lays it to the side. And he walks over and picks up his suit coat. And he puts his suit coat on. He walks down off of the bench around to where the young lady is standing. And he takes his wallet out. And he takes a $100 bill out and he lays it on the table in front of her. He walks back to his bench and he takes his suit coat off and hangs it up and puts his black robe back on and zips it back up. And he says, ma'am, you're guilty of speeding 70 and a 55. Your punishment is a $100 fine. And if you can't pay the $100 fine, then it's a weekend in jail. The law is the law and I can't change it. And about that time, the judge looks at her and he says, oh, but I see... There's a hundred dollars that somebody's placed in front of you that'll satisfy your fine. That's what happened to us. You see, God looking down through time. Because of Adam's sin, the scripture tells us that because Adam's sin, sin entered the human race. That's why we get to the Paul's words in Romans that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all guilty of sin. But God looked ahead in time and he says, there's an old song. Some of you are going to recognize this song. Title, had it not been, nobody in heaven could do what Jesus did. But God looked ahead in time and he said, you know what? In spite of the fact that humanity has sinned and in spite of the fact that they're guilty of the judgment of hell, in spite of the fact that they should receive eternal punishment, I'm going to send Jesus. Jesus was that $100 bill. Whew. That the judge gave himself to take our place. And because of that, we're redeemed by faith in his blood. Not only are we redeemed by faith in his blood, but we are justified by faith in his blood. So what is justification? I'm going to share this with you and I'm done. What is justification? It is the declared purpose of God to regard and treat those sinners who believe in Jesus Christ as if they had never sinned. But he does that on the grounds and the merits of Christ. It is not just a mere pardon. Oh no. You see, pardon is free forgiveness of past offenses. It has reference to those sins as forgiven and blotted out. But justification has respect to the law and to God's future dealings with the sinner. Listen carefully. Justification has respect to the law and to God's future dealings with the sinner. It is an act by which God determines to treat him hereafter as righteous as if he had not sinned. The basis for this merit is of the Lord Jesus Christ. Merit that we can plead as if it were our own. He has taken our place and died in our stead. He has met the descending stroke of justice which would have fallen on our heads had He not intervened. Let me leave you with this today.
The Bible says that no sin can enter into heaven. But I'm Nathan Bounds. Brother Moore, I'm going I'm I'm to pick on you because of your testimony. But you're the same David Moore that before 1951... See, I'm Nathan Bounds that once committed sin. He's David Moore that before 1951, he committed sin. But something happened when we placed our faith in Jesus and we accepted the blood sacrifice and he washed all of our sin away. You see, something happened when God looks at us He doesn't look at us as the people we were when we were out committing sin He doesn't see you brother Moore as the David Moore before 1951 the difference is the blood the difference is the faith watch this by all accounts of scripture I don't get to go to heaven because I've committed sin and no sin can get into heaven but because of faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross not only have I been redeemed but I've been justified you see justice doesn't deal with the past When somebody gets justice for a crime, it deals with the future sentence. It deals with the outcome of the court case. My God, I hope you're getting this today. It deals with what the outcome is. My outcome was hell because I committed sin. But because of faith in Christ, (laughs) my outcome has changed. And when God, the impartial, eternal, just judge, looks upon me, Brother Mike, he doesn't see the sinner. He sees the blood. And because he sees the blood, he sees the fact that I am in the same status as his son. That's why the scripture teaches us that we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. That's why the scripture teaches us that we can now call him Abba, Father, because we have obtained the spirit of adoption. We've been justified. What we deserved was hell. But when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And because of that, our future with God is as though we had never committed sin. I don't know anybody else that could do that. Furthermore, as you're standing, I don't know anybody that loves you enough to do that. Or that loves me enough to do that. 
There are many times when I walk out of this pulpit, or any pulpit for that matter, at some point I'll go home and I'll sit down and begin to rest and relax. And I'll begin to wonder, did the assignment before me today get completed? Was there at least one person that walked out of this house with a better understanding? Today, it will be of what justification is and how it applies to our life. Is there one person that will leave with a different understanding or maybe a better understanding? Or perhaps you've never understood it, but today you do understand it. Is there one person? Because while there may be 60 people, 70 people, whatever it is in this room today, if one person got it, it was a success.